today we are kicking off a brand new series called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. It's a series all about mental health. It's going to take us all the way through the month of February. And uh, I'm excited and passionate about this topic, uh, in part because before I became a pastor, I was a psychologist. And I worked uh, with predominantly high school students and middle school students and did that for a number of years before I transitioned into the church world. Uh, So I'm passionate about mental health for a number of reasons. And there's a lot of intersection, I believe, in the scriptures of theology and psychology. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you can see people who battled with depression and anxiety and anger. Uh, Some of of our spiritual heroes... And uh, I, I believe it's important for all of us, but especially in the church, to have conversations about mental health. And uh, let me say this, the, the, the topics, I'm going to encourage you to be here all four weeks. I believe it's going to help all of us. Uh, and these topics that we're going to discover, uh, discuss, uh, such as anxiety, or I'll mention anger, depression, addiction, uh, those things. Uh, we're going to discuss them on the sense of, of, of the emotions we all face. But there's also a time in our life for many of us, uh, in fact, statistically speaking, many of us will have some clinical level of one of the the topics we'll discuss. And um, I am no longer a clinician, and I'm not speaking as a clinician. Uh, I'm speaking as a pastor. Uh, I thank God for all of our clinicians. Can I get an amen? And let me just say this. um, I, I think in the same way. Um, I, I love to normalize this conversation in church because in the same way, uh, we wouldn't just tell someone who has injured their knee that you just need to pray more. Um, we shouldn't tell somebody who's battling real depression, you just need to pray more. Um, sometimes it is okay and you should take medication um, and you should seek therapy and counseling. Um, I've shared this before openly. I'm in regular counseling uh, because I think, it's, I think it's an important part of our emotional health. Um, and let me say this, I, I've even... I'm going to say a statement. I didn't say this first service, but I think that a lot of Christians in my conversation as a pastor, I think a lot of times what holds some Christians back is not that they need to pray more or read more Bible is they have unhealed souls. And I want to normalize a conversation about us having healthier souls so we can glorify God more with our life. Now you should pray. You should read your Bible. Be clear. Go back to last one series. Okay. We're going to talk about getting a healthy soul so we can walk in the freedom God has for us. If you believe it, can you say amen? Amen. So today uh, I'm excited to, I've entitled today's message, Find Freedom. Find Freedom. I almost, my first title I had of this message, a little little background on as a, as a, preacher, I usually have about three or four different titles I mess around with. And then I kind of land on one. I did have initially, my title was get unstuck. Um, but I, I really felt like find freedom was where to land. But as I was thinking about this week and this message, I was reminded back my first year I was driving. Um, I grew up north of Baltimore. So driving in snow was a normal part of, of, of my life. And my first time driving in snow, I was newly kind of had my license. And I thought, I've grew up in snow. I know how to drive in snow. And for most of the drive, things were going great. Until I got to this hill near my house. And my Chrysler Cirrus didn't do well on that hill. All of a sudden, my wheels lock up. I drift off the side of the road. And I found myself in this ditch. And I was stuck. I couldn't get out. 
Like I tried, my, my tires were just digging deeper into the mud. And I thought about that because I think sometimes in life we can experience that stuck in our life personally and spiritually. That there can be areas of our life we're moving along and we kind of feel like stuck. I'm trying my best, I'm putting in effort, but I can't get traction in said area of my life. And if you've been there, and probably you have because it's part of the human experience, then, then here's some good news is the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Let me share with you one of the scriptures he wrote in Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. Does that just encourage anybody today? Come on. I don't understand myself. I just don't, I don't get it. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So Paul says, I know what to do. I just don't do it. And what I know I shouldn't do, I do. This is the apostle Paul, planted churches, right? He brought the gospel to the Gentiles and, 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 and he's saying this. And many of you probably feel like that or have felt like that. Maybe for some of you, you turn to alcohol when you're stressed and you don't want to. Like there's something in you that knows I shouldn't do this. But yet you find yourself inebriated once again on a Thursday night. Maybe for you, you have this unhealthy drive. Like you can't turn off work. Like you're sitting at the beach, but you're thinking about the office and you can't turn off and you want to, you want to be able to relax. You can't find yourself relaxed. For some of you, you allow anger sometimes to get the best of you. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's done some damage to some of your relationships. And you know that letting your anger run free like that is not something you want, but you don't know how. Maybe for you, it's crippling anxiety. You get socially. Like you begin to get into a romantic relationship because you want to be married, but you, dis, you push people away because some fear that you have on the inside that you don't trust people. I probably could go through and mention lots of different examples of this that, that I've seen personally. I've experienced some where you, you find there's something in you that I'm doing that I wish I didn't do. Maybe for you, you like have these goals of being in a certain place financially, but you find yourself spending more than you should. And you're wondering, why am I doing what I wish I didn't do? I want this, but I'm acting like this. And may I just encourage you, this is all throughout scripture of people who experience this. In fact, Jesus said this, I tell you, everyone who sins, who misses God's mark, he says, is a slave to sin. Like we literally can, can find ourselves. That's why you can maybe find yourself abusing a substance. You can find yourself with unrighteous anger. You can find yourself with some compulsive sexual behavior and be like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? And Jesus says is that you can become a slave. You can become stuck. But are you ready for some good news? Okay. Because I feel like right now everyone's very discouraged. Okay. <laughs> There's good news is coming. Verse 36, two verses later, he says, but if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That freedom is available for each and every one of us. In fact, Paul said this in Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So Christ sets us free. Let us be clear. 
like Christ has set us free through his death, burial, and resurrection. But we have to stand firm and walk in our freedom. And let me just give you perspective, because I think sometimes if we're not careful, even the church, we can view freedom as a destination. And here's what I found both scripturally and personally. Freedom is less of a destination, it's more of a journey. In fact, if you even look at addiction recovery research, they will often even tell people who are battling an addiction. They will say, don't focus on winning the battle of addiction tomorrow or even 10 years from now. Focus on winning the battle of addiction today. Like if you just keep winning today, if you just keep walking in freedom today, and here's what you'll find, watch this. If you decide whatever area it is for you, whether it's anxiety, it's alcohol, it's anger, it's, it's unhealthy drivenness. If you decide, I'm gonna start walking in freedom. If you start walking in that today, maybe tomorrow you won't be all freed up. But five years from now, 10 years, you will be a different person that people will look back and say, wow, I remember when, and now look, if you decide, I'm gonna walk in freedom today. You ready to get free today? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who sets us free from those things that hold us back. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you illuminate your word today, God, as we read it, as we hear it, that would transform our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, here, I got three thoughts for you today, three applications of how we walk in freedom. And here's the first one, is that we first have to search our thoughts. We have to search our thoughts. Paul said in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. Paul's like, there's, there's like a battle going on inside of me, Paul says. It's like, there's this tug of war. I'm doing, I'm falling into things I wish I didn't do. I was remembering, this is a simple example, but I was remembering back in Thanksgiving, I had kind of set the day before of like, here's, you know, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna eat healthy on Thanksgiving, come on somebody. And I actually cooked most of dinner, uh, and I enjoy it. Um, the truth is, is if you cook Thanksgiving, you don't have to clean up Thanksgiving. Come on, somebody. <laughs> wisdom, wisdom. So while everybody else is busy cleaning up, your boy is napping, napping. So I was like, I, you know, the meal I made, lots of veggies. It was, it was, it was good, it was healthy. And I was, I was feeling almost there, almost full. I was like, I'm gonna have one piece of pie, just one. So I love pumpkin pie. So I had pumpkin pie. But then my mom, mom, if you're watching, I love you. She was there and she brought her coconut cream pie, which is like from the, the, the holy of holies in heaven. And something came, a reason went out the door and I ate a second piece. Physically, I immediately regretted it. My taste buds were having a party. Physically, I wanted to take a nap. But you've been there, haven't you? It's like, you're like, it's like something, maybe you're having a drink and there's something in you. It's like, let's have a second one, have a third one. Have a, and next thing you know, you're inebriated and you're like, I, I didn't mean to. You, you, you're like, you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn off work at this time. But then you come home and you pick up that computer and you can't turn it off. Or you get into that romantic relationship 
and you're like, this is going to be different. I want to have this relationship. But that fear kicks in again. You push away again from that relationship like you have. This is what Paul's saying. In fact, the psalmist said this in Psalm 139, 23. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That word anxious means disturbing. The psalmist says, help me to understand the disturbing thoughts within me that's causing me to do the things that I wish I didn't when I When I was stuck in that ditch, the tow truck driver came. And when he first came, he didn't just hook my, tr- my, my car up onto the truck and, and start pulling me. He walked around my vehicle and he examined like how deep are the tires in the mud and snow. He examined the angle of the incline to determine how he was going to properly pull me out. He needed to examine it. And we need to examine ourselves. Like self-examination is a, is a common theme in the scriptures that we should do is looking internal with God I've got to help me to understand what's happening inside of me. The first house Christina and I moved into um, when we were married, we first kind of had several, a couple condos that we lived in, like many of you, um, and we didn't have a yard to have to care for. So moving to this townhome, we had this small backyard, this little, really not only a backyard, really a little patio, a square, but it had these little, little flower beds. So we were feeling very green thumb-like. And we were like, we're going to plant some flowers. So we planted some flowers one Saturday morning, all proud of ourselves. And, you know, we're watering it. We're making sure the sunlight is getting proper sunlight. We come out about several weeks later and the, the flowers begin to bud. But so do about a thousand weeds <laughs> in the beds. And we're like, what in the world? So, so we began to... Because even though we planted flower seeds, there were weed seeds sitting there dormant. And the moment they got some water, woof, boom. So we pulled the weeds out, or so we thought. But what we soon realized, we only pulled the fruit of the weed, not the root of the weed. So about a few weeks passed, and once again, they come right back up again. So we took the Saturday, and we just dug out the roots of all these weeds, lots of them. And here's why I share that, because if we're not careful, we in our lives, when it comes to whatever area we feel stuck in, is we can end up just addressing the fruit and not dealing with the root. In fact, in addiction research, they found actually for, this is not a broad stroke, but for many who battle addiction, it actually stems back from childhood trauma. And we're going to have a whole message on trauma. Because, in fact, they, they find a lot of times a lot of our dysfunction in our adult life stems from a trauma in our childhood that's unhealed, undealt with for many of us. So be here for each of the weeks. We're going we're gonna to touch on that, that the topic. But is, is, is we can end up managing the fruit and not dealing with the root. In fact, my current counselor, I reached out to him. The first time I reached out to him, uh, I was dealing with some anxiety, which is kind of new for me. It wasn't during the pandemic. And I reached out to him and I thought, oh, he's going to give me some tools of how to manage my, my stress and my anxiety. And, and about, about a session and a half in to our, our relationship, he actually pinpointed the root of my anxiety was unprocessed grief from my father's death. 38 years old, presenting problems from 16-year-old Jeremy. Didn't process his grief. 
And can I tell you, we begin to do over the corresponding months, we begin to dig up those roots. And can I tell you, for some of us, if we're not careful, we can spend our life trying to manage the fruit. And we wonder why we go through those cyclical patterns because it's like that weed. You pull up the root, pops right back up. You pull up, it pops right back up. Can I get the root of it? Now, let me say this. I don't want what I'm about to share to feel like a quick fix because for some of you, like for me, you have 15 years of being stuck from maybe pain that happened years ago. So it will take more than 15 hours, come on somebody, Amen. to be unstuck. Cause you're gonna have to unwind years of conditioning. That's in part spiritual, but a lot of parts psychological. It's the way you were wired. We've conditioned ourselves to not trust people. We've conditioned ourselves to medicate with food. We've conditioned ourselves to push people away. So we're having to unwind some conditioning. So when I was a, when I was a psychologist, I, uh, I, would, I would meet with high school students who would have presenting problems, um, whether it be anxiety that was crippling, depression, anger, substance abuse. And what I would do is I would say, what I want you to do this week is I want you to write down, keep a thought journal, which is a great practice personally. Um, I'll still apply this to my own life. And whenever you're having a presenting problem or an emotion that's destructive or a behavior that's dysfunctional, or you're doing something you wish you didn't do, is write down the thoughts that are running through your mind. Here's why. Because whatever you're seeing as the fruit, there's an operating system underneath the surface producing it. That's your thoughts. So cognitive behavioral therapy, which is my kind of primary modality of therapy when I was a therapist, is essentially, is if you want to change emotions and behaviors in your life, it starts with the thoughts that are, that are operating. And I mentioned weed seeds that were in the flower bed. And we all have weed seeds as well in our life. And those weed seeds are in our heart, in our mind, our thoughts or beliefs that we have. And a lot of times those unhealthy, even untrue thoughts that we have can be planted in our hearts from past pain, can be things that happened, our family experience, our conditioning when we were younger that have just been reinforced over the course of time. That's why, let me help you out. For some of you, You've been wondering, you're like, you're like, I've had people tell me this. Hey, pastor, I'm reading the Bible and I know what it says that God has a peace beyond all comprehension. If we, if we pray and we petition and I'm doing that, but I'm still having this crippling anxiety because here's why, even though you're planting good seed, you still have weed seed that's been in there for years. Or I know that, I, that I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to turn from sin. I, I know what Jesus said. I know that sin's destructive, but I keep, I keep doing this. I keep letting whatever you fill it in, compulsive sexual behavior, turning to alcohol abuse, whatever it might be, lashing out in anger. I know I shouldn't do that. Here's why. Even though you're sowing good seed like you are today, you still have weed seed that was planted in you at a young age. Because maybe you grew up in a home where they medicated with alcohol. And as a four-year-old boy, you were actually getting seed planted in you that when, when life is stressful, you medicate. This is how we manage our emotions. We don't talk about it, we medicate it. You can fill in the blank. And that's why we feel like, and I've talked to so many Christians, I don't understand why I do what I do. Like I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm coming to church. And this is where the deeper work has to be done in our lives. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 5. He said, we take captive every thought. We make it obedient to Christ. 
I love Paul's aggressive language here. Like, don't play games. Go hard about your thought life. Take captive the thoughts that are, that are, that are, that are generating bad fruit in your life. I'm going to give you an acronym today uh, that I think is going to help you. Um, and the acronym is S-T-A-R, STAR. Because you're a star, baby. You remember it now. Here's the S. So here's what you do. You can't turn off work. It's 9.30 at night. You can't go to sleep. Or you're reaching for that bottle on a Thursday night because you had a rough day at work. Stop. The T is think. Capture what thoughts am I having right now? And maybe the thoughts you're having as you reach for that bottle is I'll always have this problem. Why even try to get free? Or maybe you can't turn off work and the thought you're having is I wasn't good enough today. I didn't measure up today. You identify what's operating in the, in the background. And then A is you assess. This is where we look at the root. Why do I feel like I'll always have this problem? Maybe the root of it is because I had this problem for 15 years. Maybe the root of it is my dad had a drinking problem, my granddad had a drinking problem, and his dad had a drinking problem, so I'll have a drinking problem. Maybe your drivenness, the root of that, I'm not good enough. Maybe that's actually rooted from your father walking out on you when you were seven years old. And you felt as a young girl that I'm not good enough because my dad won't even be here with me. Here's what happens. As we begin to identify where is the root, where was the root of that lie? The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. And here's what the devil will do is in moments of great pain of our life. And usually when we're child, because the devil, he's terrible. He'll come after us when we're young and he'll sell sell you a lie. You're not good enough. He'll sell you a lie. You'll always have this problem. He'll sell you a lie. You can never change. It's in your DNA. It's a lie. Here's how you know they're a lie. Because once you assess the root, you replace, S-T-A-R, replace it with the truth. And, and a lot of times the truth is obvious in the scriptures. Like, for example, I'm not good enough. Well, the Bible says I'm a beloved child of God. That even when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So guess what? I am good enough in God's eyes. That even when I was a sinner, even when I didn't deserve it, God still saw me as worth it. Or I'll always have this problem. Well, we just read, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So that is a lie. God can set me free from whatever it is I'm struggling with. Are you seeing me, church? Now, you're not going to apply star today and be free tomorrow, more than likely. (laughs) You're going to give tomorrow morning, and you're going to put on your spiritual armor, the sword of the spirit. I'm going to say, you know what? So when that lie comes in, I'm not good enough. I'm a beloved child of God. When that lie comes in, I'll always have this problem. The sun sets free is free indeed. I'm going to stand firm and not be burdened once again by the yoke of slavery. As you begin to apply the truth of the word of God. What did the apostle Paul say? We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Transformed. Search our thoughts. Here's point number two. Point number two. So we have to surrender to God. Verse 18 of chapter seven, Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me. Don't you love Paul? (laughs) Ain't nothing good in me. He says, that is my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Here's what Paul does. This is so important. And this is a little bit contrary to our Western culture. So even upon hearing this initially, you might rub you a little bit the wrong way because you've been conditioned the opposite way. Paul admits he's powerless. And we live in a culture, we got strength finders, not weakness finders. Come on. We love to show that I got, we're an empowering culture. But listen, until we admit we are weak, we will not experience the perfect power of God. I heard a pastor say this, we want a breakthrough, but yet we want to admit that we're broken. It's when you say, God, I need you. God, I am powerless against this. But here's the encouragement part, because the Bible says this, that with man, with women, it's, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of you. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Now, you may be powerless, but with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I walked downstairs uh, in the morning, it was around the five o'clock hour, and my dog, Toby, was whining. And uh, he, he really never makes any noise, like really ever. He doesn't bark. He doesn't really whine. But he was whining, so it was unusual. So I went over to his crate, and I, he, I let him out. And he walks right to the back door, sliding glass door. So I knew he was letting me know I need to go to the restroom. So I let him out and, you know, he goes. But I had this thought. Toby was whining because he was saying to me, I need to get out of this crate, but I can't in and of myself. Yeah. And this is what Paul was doing to God. And this is what we all have to do. We have to say, God, I want to get free of this anxiety, but in and of myself, I cannot. God, I want to stop turning to alcohol when I'm stressed, but in and of myself, I cannot. Why is one of the first principles of addiction recovery programs, you have to admit you're powerless and that you need a higher power because you have to be able to admit. And listen, this just isn't for those in addiction recovery. This is for every human on the earth that you have to admit. I have a capacity. He knows no capacity. I have limits, but God knows no limits. I have weakness, but he's all powerful. And when you get to a place where you say, God, I need your power. That is exactly where he wants you. Exactly where he wants you. Because that invites the power of God into your life. So here's how we do this practically. I'm gonna give you two simple practical thoughts. Is number one is we, we submit to and we live according to God's truth and word. This is what Jesus said in John 8, 32. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. When you, do, when you live out the truth of the word of God, the spirit of God empowers us to walk in freedom. Let me give you a couple of truths you can apply in your own life. For example, 1 John 4, 18, John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. So can I tell you what helps you when you're battling with fear? I've experienced this. What can help you is you spend time in the presence of perfect love who is God. Can I tell you, there are things that can happen in the presence of God in a moment that you could never do in your lifetime. There are things that God can do for your soul in a moment you could not do in 37 therapy sessions. And I've had over 37 therapy sessions. Okay, somebody? (laughs) 
Listen, I'm telling you, there's something in the presence of God that God can do that we could never do in and of our own strength. That's what makes worship so powerful. He said, in my presence, there's the fullness of joy. That in his, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's something powerful to you coming in and you worshiping God and you exalting God and you declaring all hail King Jesus. Chains must break and God can do something in a moment that you could never do yes, in and of your own effort. That's right. Now we're going to get to all the practicals, but do not for a second mistake or dismiss or devalue the presence of God because where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. There's freedom. Proverbs 28, the, the author of the proverb says, people who conceal their sins, verse 13, will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. He says you have to, he says you have to, you have to reveal your sins to somebody else. Hey, listen, whatever you, you remain concealing, God can't heal. I heard it said this way, you are as sick as your secrets. Whatever you're not revealing to somebody else. And you've all felt that relief. When you have a secret that nobody else knows and you tell somebody and the relief you feel, that's healing that comes to your soul. So how do you apply this? Is you don't conceal. You find someone who's safe enough for you to reveal. Here's one last scripture to apply to walk in freedom. Proverbs 19, 11, a person's wisdom yields patience and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I think there are a lot of people in our culture bound up, stuck in offense and living offended. Do you want to know how you can walk in freedom? Is become an unoffendable person. That's one of my life goals. I want to become hard to offend. Now you got to work to offend me because offense, the Bible calls it a snare. It binds us up. It holds us back. So live according to the word of God. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I love that. Another practical part, live according to the word of God. Here's another part, is to pray. You know, I was looking at skyscrapers recently and um, the next is one skyscraper I saw was, was, a, was a skyscraper in process. And you all know this, when you build a skyscraper, they first go really deep. A building can only go as high as it goes deep first, a deep foundation. And I thought to myself, when I read James scripture, I heard this, this quote once, I forgot who said it, but the most powerful position for a man or woman to be in is on their face in prayer. That when you get low and you get to a place in your life where you're saying, God, I need you. I need your peace beyond all comprehension to guard my heart and mind from anxiety. God, I need your power to set me free from this desire to medicate with alcohol so I can walk in freedom and sobriety. God, I need your healing power. Your word says you heal the brokenhearted. I need your healing power so I can trust people once again. And when you get to that place where you, you cry upon God, he, the Bible says, will lift you up. Amen. But we got to humble ourselves. Amen. You have to get to a place where you admit I'm broken and I need God. I am weak and I need your supernatural strength. Yes. That's the starting place.
And here's the last point. So you got to search your thoughts. You got to surrender to God. Then you got to seek help from faith-filled friends. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a more satisfying return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. I, in my research for this message, I came across this um, in 10 years ago in Perth, Australia, there was a man who was uh, going onto the metro and when he was walking onto the metro, his, his, his left leg got stuck between the platform and the train. So he was like, his left leg was, he couldn't get it out. This guy saw it. And it's like, it's like the DC Metro, like they, they don't stop, right? So the doors were, were closed and the train was about to move. So this man sees it. He calls all these people over. And if you watch the video, you can watch it on YouTube. Literally like 50 people push the train. They tilt the train up. And the man gets loose. Jesus. Now, what a depiction of how God has created our freedom is that you cannot get free from what you're stuck in by yourself. Right. Is you need other people to help set you free. Amen. In fact, Stanford School of Medicine in 2020 published a report. They did a meta-analysis of, of 35 studies involving the work of 145 scientists and 10,080 participants. And they looked at addiction recovery and here's what they found. They actually determined, this was kind of shocking, that actually peer groups, peer support groups in addiction recovery was more effective in, than psychotherapy in producing sobriety. And, and the lead researcher from Stanford said this. They, he, he said, let me read the quote because it was really powerful. I said, this guy's preaching. He said, if you want to change your behavior, find some other people who are trying to make the same change. He's preaching groups right there. <laughs> hey, if you want to walk in freedom, get in community with other people who want to walk in freedom. And he said this, he said, he said, because when they get in those relationships, they have someone to encourage them and to give practical tips to them. Because here's why, when you get into community with somebody else and you let them know about what you're struggling with, you'll probably hear from somebody else in the group. Me too. I have an issue with anxiety. Here's what's helped me. Can I pray for you? Can, can I support you? Can I come alongside you? Can I be there for you? And this is what's going to help lead to our freedom. This is the way that God designed it. God sets us free, but he sets us free in community. James 5, 16, if you have been around Catalyst, you know this scripture. I've shared it many times. If you're new, you'll get to know this one. James says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. That word healed in the Greek is not a physical body healing. It's a healing of your soul. Go back to what I said at the forefront. I think a lot of Christians, their presenting problems is not due to a lack of prayer life. It's due to an unhealed soul. And James says, God, listen, God forgives our sins and we confess to him. God heals our soul when we open up to somebody else. You're only as sick as your secrets. God cannot heal what you keep concealed, but God will heal, the Bible says, what you reveal to somebody else in a safe relationship. This is why we have community groups. 
That's the number one reason. We had our group leader training last Sunday, and we told every group leader this. This is the number one reason we have groups, is this reason right here, is to create a safe place. Here's what we say, a catalyst for you to take off your mask, for you to really be honest about that crippling anxiety that's keeping you up, for you to be honest about the last four relationships you've been in, the reason they didn't work out is because you didn't trust them and you pushed them away. For you to be honest about how you turned to alcohol on the weekends to medicate the pain that's deep on the inside of you. So you can tell somebody else about how anger gets the best of you and has caused stress in your relationships. And what you're gonna find as you reveal, God will do the healing. I've been open before about an area for me where I, I, I am still walking in freedom. Freedom is a journey, not a destination, amen? So you don't ever stop. I'm free, I'm good. No, it's every day. For me was workaholism. So years ago, if you were to say, Jeremy, what do you do for fun? I work. <laughs> work is fun. And, and I still believe in working hard. All right, that's, that's a whole other side, another message, right? <laughs> you should work hard. But, but, but I couldn't turn it off. And... I won't, but there were, there were deep roots there in my life that, that why I couldn't turn off work and, and it was like a, a part of my identity and all of this. And when I opened up with one of my closest friends and my wife, Christina, and my counselor, and I began to talk about, man, this is, this is my area of struggle. I began to experience healing and freedom. Whereas now, I even joked with Christina this week as I was preparing for this message. The other night, I took like an hour where I was just like watching something. 10 years ago, I would have never like took an hour to watch anything. I'm like, this is wasting time. I got work to do. Who's watching TV? <laughs> that was unhealthy. Now I can actually relax for an hour. Amen. And I'm not like, watch this. I'm no longer bound. Amen. I'm walking in freedom. Amen. Now I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was Amen. because God is setting me free yes. and he wants to set you free. But you have to stand firm. You have to take off your mask. You have to get honest with somebody else. I want to illustrate this, ver this visually for you today. Pastor Andy is going to come and help me um, this morning to, vi to help to visualize what I believe God wants to do for each and every one of you today and for all of our life. Now he, he willingly agreed to this. <laughs> he actually volunteered himself. I was gonna handcuff myself, but he said, no, handcuff me. So just to be clear for all online audiences, um, I don't want any emails, okay? Pastor handcuffs member, you know, <laughs> look bad in the news. But many of us feel handcuffed. For you, you might feel handcuffed by anxiety. And have you ever been handcuffed before? Um, the, the, the more you try to get out, you can try to get out. <laughs> it hurts. It cuts into your wrists. They're designed that way. And listen, the enemy has assigned it that way to handcuff you that alcohol to where you feel like, I don't know if I could ever stop drinking, to handcuff your anxiety. 
to handcuff you to work in performance, to handcuff you to not trusting people. And you feel like this. Here's the way that God designed it. God is the one that sets us free. But he gives other people the key. So when you take off that mask and you say, man, I'm, I, I really have this issue with anxiety. Or I'm, I'm struggling with alcohol or anger gets the best of me. Here's what happens over the course of time. Is what once had you cuffed, what once had you bound, no longer bound anymore in Jesus' name. And God wants to do the same for you. I don't know what has you cuffed today. There probably is something. And listen, if you're not sure what area you're stuck in, ask the people closest to you. Here's what I found. Usually the people closest to you see it before you do. They're like, yeah, sometimes you get a little angry. And I know it's not you, but it hurts. Yeah, I've been concerned about your drinking. Yeah, I know you're not like a full-blown alcoholic, but you drink a little too much sometimes. Yeah, I've been real concerned about your anxiety because the littlest thing kind of gets you. And God wants to set you free today. I want to close with some practicals. This is why we have groups. So this is your home church. I'm your pastor. I want you to get involved in a group. We have a wide variety so that you can find a group that fits you where you can find a common interest or a common night that works for you or day that works for you. So we have that. And then I want you to join a group. And listen, I want you to join and I want you to show up. Can I be honest with your pastor? Some of you have signed up for a group, but you didn't show up to a group consistently. And the power is not in signing up online. It's in showing up. It's in being there. And then foster some friendships. Can I, this, some of you are, 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 are like, you could teach how to be a, a friend. Really, I mean that. Some of you are fantastic at this. If that's a struggle for you, here's how you can, you can foster friendship is be the kind of friend you want or need. So here's a, like, I want a friend to check in on me. I check in on my friends. I, I pray for my friends by name. I, I encourage my friends. Be the kind of friend that you want or need. And then admit that you're stuck. Like tell them whatever the area it is. As you've built the relationship, hey, can I just, can I be honest with you about an area where I need some help? And you're gonna receive grace and love and acceptance on the other side of that. I close this scripture out of Romans. Paul, Paul concluded his, his passage in Romans with Romans 7, 25. You know, his first passage was, remember this, verse 15? I do what I don't wanna do. <laughs> I don't understand myself. And then he concludes by saying this, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I am believing over the course of this next semester that many of you, many of us, myself included, are gonna walk in greater levels of freedom. Christ is gonna give you more freedom as we search our thoughts, as we surrender them to God, we seek help from our faithful friends. Can I pray for you, church? Bow your heads with me.